0: This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. All right, here we go. Welcome to this hour of the program. Rob Breckenridge with you on a Tuesday afternoon. You can reach us at 403-974-TALK, 974-8255. Your phone calls, your texts, a lot more still to come. We'll talk about North Korea later in this hour. We've got some other news to get to as well. But off the top in this hour, I want to explore the situation in Flint, Michigan Uh, and the impact of the water crisis in that community. It was 2014 when the decision was made to change the water source for the city of Flint. Because of insufficient water treatment, there were concerns about high levels of lead in the drinking water. It took a long time to, to figure that out. An emergency, a state of emergency, was eventually declared early last year. Now, it sounds as though, for the most part, the situation has been fixed. But obviously, there's the impact of what happened. We know a lot about the dangers of lead exposure, and especially what that can do to children. How many thousands of children were exposed to dangerous levels of lead? Uh, Furthermore, cases of Legionnaire's disease that were reported in Genesee County between June of 2014 and November of 2015 At least 12 people dead as a result of that. Was that linked to the lead exposure? Was that linked to what happened with the water supply? And if so, who's going to be held accountable for this? Who made these decisions? And was evidence ignored about a problem? As we learned last week, five people, and that includes the head of Michigan's health department, been charged with involuntary manslaughter. Now, this concerns the outbreak of Legionnaires' disease and the death in particular of one 85-year-old man. And I think it speaks to the bigger picture of who is making the decisions and who ultimately bears responsibility for what happened to Flint. And it's something we take for granted, don't we? When you turn on the tap and fill your glass with water, you assume that what's coming out of the tap is safe. You assume that what you're giving your children is safe. And so that's why I think we all should pay attention to what went wrong in Flint and, and the lessons to be learned. Uh, joining us to talk more about all of this, very pleased to welcome to the program, Michelle Riley, columnist with the Detroit Free Press. Uh, freep.com is the website. Rochelle, thank you so much for making some time for us here today.
1: Glad to be here.
0: How significant then is, is the laying of these criminal charges in your view?
1: well it's uh, a powerful statement uh it's something that the residents of flint have been waiting for for some time because until this point well until the charges began with the lesser charges against uh, 13 other people there had been no one held accountable for what happened so with those charges uh which were filed in over the past nine to ten months and then with these late latest two which are two high-ranking officials including someone who reports directly to the governor it, it got closer and closer to the governor's door.
0: Well, what's the connection, then, as we understand it, between the Legionnaires' disease outbreak and what happened with Flint's water?
1: Well, part of the problem is they're still investigating, but when, when a doctor, Dr. Mona Hanna-Attisha, told the state in 2015, September of 2015, after residents had been complaining for more than a year about the state of the water, the state publicly denounced her said that she was causing a panic, that she was wrong. It took only a week for them to change their minds and say, well, actually, she was right. So that's when they started to look at the water, and and that was connected. They didn't originally connect anything with the water to cases of Legionnaires. Of course, once they started to investigate, you know, because when someone dies of Legionnaires, the first thing you want to find out is where they've been and what they might have ingested. And then they decided it Probably has something to do with the same water that they were having problems with lead. Um, the two were not tied together right away, but when they were tied together, they now have emails and discussions. Uh, this was in January of two thousand sixteen where they found uh, Legionella in the water. A Flint hospital made the first report, um, and so there were people with the state who uh, Apparently or allegedly, according to the attorney general, knew about it and did not announce it to the public, did not do anything to uh, keep people from drinking the water. And so the first person that the attorney general hopes to prove died from Legionnaires after they should have said something um, was the gentleman that they charged in the single case of involuntary manslaughter, Mr. Skidmore.
0: As it stands now in the community, has the water situation been fixed? No. Still hasn't. Um,
1: They still have to replace the pipes. I I mean, what they've done is treated the water in a way that the lead levels are lower. And that's a great start, and that makes sense. But here are the two biggest problems. They have to deal with people complaining from early 2014 until until October of 2015, before the governor acknowledged it, And until 2016, which meant almost two years, where they didn't really do anything. And then they started to give them bottled water. And, of course, we later found out that the state was giving bottled water to its employees for months before, you know, they acknowledged the residents' problems. And General Motors stopped using the water uh, because of the corrosion it was causing to car parts. So uh, these folks were treated as inconsequentially as you can imagine when you're talking about a health crisis and, you know, children drinking bad water. Well,
0: the impact of that when it comes to lead exposure, right, that that takes a lot longer to understand the full impact. When will we know what the full impact of this crisis was?
1: We, We may not know the full impact for years and years. As Dr. Hannah Atisha has made plain, when you're dealing with developmental problems, you have to wait for them to develop. And the best way to handle this crisis is to start working with these children in Flint now as a preemptive measure to make sure that you catch whatever developmental problems might come along if if you wait to see what they are by that point it's too late to help them
0: we go back to the the genesis of this crisis was there a valid reason for switching the water source in the first place why was that decision made
1: well, your timeline was was pretty thorough but if you go back to the very beginning literally um, Governor Rick Snyder, when he became governor, in efforts to save money, started having emergency managers take over cities and school districts all over the state, almost all of them uh, communities that were either predominantly minority, uh, large pockets of poverty, or elected officials that were people of color. So when this started, it was to save money. It literally was, okay, we can continue to pay Detroit, to handle the water out of Lake Huron, or we can do something different. So um, what the state decided to do back in 2011 was to let uh, an emergency manager take over, which they did in 2011, and one of the measures to save money was, well, there's a river right there in Flint. Let's just use that one. Despite everybody in Flint, people who grew up there, people who uh, live there, people who are elected officials from there, know it's notoriously toxic you know you just don't drink the flint water and literally if they had added a water treatment an anti-corrosion treatment to make sure that lead didn't leach from the lead pipes that brought the water from the river to people's homes if they had done that and it would have cost the state about a hundred dollars a day that might have uh, prevented this entire problem but they did not do that the lead did leach from the pipes into the water and then you got this crisis It was avoidable, basically. It was avoidable. It was avoidable. It took literally just a month from April of 2014 to May of 2014 before um, the water smelling and tasting bad was coming out of the pipes and residents were going to city council meetings and city hall with just these jugs of brown water saying, this is what our water looks like. You have to do something. And state officials telling them the water's fine. This isn't a big deal. And that they
0: should have known better. Oh, official, right?
1: So, I mean, it was absolutely. a case of
0: yeah. I mean, it seems that not only was was the wrong decision made initially, but there was just it almost seems like a reluctance to admit the mistake, and that made the situation even worse.
1: I think the callous disregard for what residents were saying, were telling them, uh, was just the most heinous part of this whole thing for months. They're complaining to state representatives, complaining to the governor's office, complaining to the attorney general, complaining to city officials, complaining to the emergency manager. There's something wrong with our water. And at one point uh, in January of 2015, the Flint emergency manager at that time, Jerry Ambrose, you know, Detroit said, well, you know, come back to the the Detroit water. Something is, you know, wrong with it. It would have cost a million dollars a month, according to some news reports. And he said, no, no, thanks. You know, we, we don't need that. Uh, and apparently Flint sold part of a transmission pipe uh, to Genesee County and they would not be able to do it anymore. That was, that was what people were told. So they did not go back. And then you had the EPA involved and the DEQ, the Department of Environmental Quality, all looking at reports and saying the water's fine. But then there was an EPA memo that was leaked showing high levels of lead at one woman's home, high enough for her son to get lead poisoning. And that's when, you know, the rubber met the road, yeah. the stuff hit the fan, and people paid attention.
0: So did, so did Flint ultimately switch back to Detroit water then?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. They, they had to.
0: There was talk last year, um, and I think it was during the presidential campaign, that maybe there would be more federal support for the area, that there's a need, obviously, to, to replace pipes, to replace infrastructure. Did anything ever come of that?
1: No, the governor asked for help from FEMA and um, the different uh, members of the congressional delegation, um, you know, asked for federal aid. And at one point, you know, the governor in his state of the state in January of 2016 publicly apologized and said he would fix it and ask legislators for $28 million. But a lot of that just paid for bottled water and filters that initially didn't work and treating children with high lead levels, which isn't enough and treating potential behavioral health issues, which wasn't enough. And there there wasn't ever money to fix the pipes. They figured the pipes will be fine if we use the anti-corrosive and sort of let it run its course. And unfortunately, that's not the best solution. If you want to have clean water and you've got lead pipes and the lead pipes, now that they've been leached, you know, people in Flint still don't trust them. Yeah. The Legionella wasn't discovered until January of 2016. So, of course, remember by then, it had been almost two years of complaints about lead, and then they were hit with this, that they don't want those pipes, no matter what they say about them.
0: Well, in a perfect world, then, what's what's the ideal fix here?
1: Well, um, Michigan's two Democratic senators uh, came up with this $600 million plan to help Flint, $400 million for infrastructure improvements, and $200 million for health care um, but the GOP uh, said, we're not interested. This is a problem in Flint. It's a local and state responsibility as if it couldn't happen any place else. And so they're still trying to get people to understand that this could happen anywhere, that Flint could be a lesson for other places and they need that. So the mayor asked the state for uh, money to improve the pipes. But in the meantime, they still did uh, studies showing that the lead levels were much, much better. People should still keep using the filters and bottled water, but they were not expecting them to get uh, the same level of sickness or as sick. And that's when the uh, attorney general started, and this would have been like March or April of 2016 with filing charges. I think, I
0: mean, you touch on why this story matters so much and, and why, you know, people well outside of Michigan or even outside the United States should should take notice, because even though there's some specific circumstances that are pertinent to this area, I mean, it, it's the kind of thing that they could happen somewhere else.
1: Oh, it absolutely can. I mean, in Detroit, you've still got some pipes that are made of wood, and and there are plenty of cities across the country that still use lead pipes. And again, with the anti-corrosives, you know, that's a great treatment, but was it you know, supposed to last for 100 years, 200 years? Do do you really think that the pipes will last forever without there at some point being a problem with leaching? Do you want to wait and have this happen again? Um, I I, I think that the idea that we can skate by without somehow really taking a look at the infrastructure of American cities, period, is folly. And at some point, we're going to have to understand that that won't stand.
0: (laughs) Yeah, OK, no okay, Well, uh, much more on uh, all of this at uh, Freep.com, the website for the Detroit Free Press. Rochelle, great to have you with us here. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much. Anytime.
0: Really appreciate it. That's Rochelle Riley, award winning columnist uh, with the Detroit Free Press, Freep.com. Uh, so this has been a big, big story in the area, as you can imagine, but it is, you know, something that we should worry about. Now, not to say that there's a, a looming crisis here, but uh, again, when it comes to, to our water, we don't, shouldn't mess around. Right? Shouldn't be taking shortcuts. If infrastructure needs to be replaced, you replace it. Uh, So, the full impact of this crisis, as she said, and it's going to take a long time to realize it, lead exposure can have all kinds of awful, horrible impact, but it's not immediately noticeable. I mean, there are a lot of people who have uh, studied this issue, and maybe it's not a coincidence that when we finally phased lead out of gasoline and substantially reduced the amount of lead in the atmosphere and in our environment. We saw crime levels come down. I mean, it, it lines up almost perfectly. Now, correlation is not causation, but there's been a lot of research suggesting maybe there is a link. When you look at the kind of impact that lead exposure can have on children and growing brains, and those kinds of developmental disabilities that can result, it's pretty serious. So the fact that for as long as it, as it was in Flint, that there were dangerous levels of lead in the water, I mean, that is, is truly scandalous. So we'll see whether individuals are held accountable. But things seem to be moving in that direction. Our number here, 403-974-TALK, 974-8255. We are back with more right after this. Welcome back. Our number here, 403-974-8255, 974-TALK. We'll talk about North Korea coming up after 2.30. What happened to this uh, young American, this student, who was, for whatever reason, in North Korea, uh, probably a place you're best to stay away from. But obviously that doesn't excuse what was done to him by the regime. It seemed like a trumped up accusation about tearing down some propaganda poster and being sentenced to hard labor. And, and we don't know what happened to him. He was sent back to the U.S. last week, but died yesterday. We got confirmation of his death yesterday anyway. So, yeah, I think the Americans are going to have something to say about that what was done to an American citizen by this regime. But what did happen? Right, mean, what do we know? And, you know, what was unfortunate when this story first made news is the amount of victim blaming that went on. So this was some kind of frat boy acting like an idiot as though somehow he got what was coming to him. And I think a lot of those hot takes look pretty stupid now in the aftermath of uh, what happened. So we'll get to that coming up after 2.30, Try to understand a little bit more about what happened and what the American response might be. Uh, we're also watching this uh, unfolding situation in Belgium where there was a report of an explosion at Brussels Central Station. Uh, word coming from Belgium media that a suspect was shot by police, a sp- suspect who was perhaps armed with or basically wearing some kind of explosive device. Uh, so maybe um, another t- terrorist attack averted this time. So further details uh, yet to emerge regarding exactly what happened. But uh, the train station in question uh, was shut down. Police say the situation is under control. But obviously people are going to be looking for some answers on exactly what went down here. And what was it then that police managed to stop, if that's what it was? So we'll follow that story as well. Uh, Some time for your calls and your texts. Again, 403-974-8255. Regarding what happened in Flint, Michigan, right, and obviously there's some specific situations they're dealing with uh, in Detroit and in Michigan, right, that maybe we're not here. This text from Rob, though, says, well, there's certainly lessons about taking better care of our water infrastructure. The big lesson is that of fiscal responsibility. Detroit was trying to save money because they are literally, literally bankrupt. When governments do not manage their finances responsibly, we run out of money to take care of true life necessities. Is why our government should keep to the basics and stop going into debt for all the extras. Eventually, it's going to hit something essential like water. right? And that's an interesting point. There is a, a huge financial mess in that city, in that state. And how did it get that bad? That they're that desperate to find ways to save money. Well, that is an excuse what was done. And ultimately, there may be some criminal responsibility regarding certain decisions that were made. But yeah, if you want to look for lessons and warnings from that experience in Flint, maybe that is one of them. But yeah, a, like, I mean, it's a horrific situation. You know, just try to envision what that would be like, not knowing what's going on. You're seeing brown water come out of your tap, and you're being told by people, no, no, everything's fine, everything's okay. You know, your kids are drinking that. The kids are drinking water out of the tap. The kids are drinking the water fountain at school potentially doing serious damage to themselves. So it's easy to sympathize and empathize with what uh, these people are going through and how horrific that was and how many kids were impacted by this. It's scary to think about. So we'll see what comes of that. As mentioned, uh, criminal charges have been laid and it's now a case of trying to understand what went wrong and, and who was responsible. It's no longer a question of whether the water was contaminated. And for too long, I think there were those maybe just afraid of the truth coming out that tried to downplay or hide what went on, just made the situation that much worse. Uh, On a brighter note, I wanted to mention this story because we've talked a lot about this recently the amazing discoveries being made by the Kepler Space Telescope and our increasing ability to detect planets circling around other stars. We've come an incredible long way in a short period of time, and it's really remarkable that we're able to do this now to find planets and get a better understanding of the size of these planets, whether they're in that so-called habitable zone. So yesterday, NASA announced even more findings, 219 possible new exoplanets in our galaxy, including 10 relatively small, rocky, possible habitable planets, similar to our own. Right. In order to determine whether a planet might be capable of harboring life, you need to, is it close to the size of Earth? Is it in that habitable zone around the star where it's not too hot, not too cold, just right? And so we're finding more and more of these. What's interesting is that Kepler was looking at about 150,000 stars. And there's some planets that circle these stars and we're not able to detect because they don't cause a dip in the star just because of the nature their, the way they go around their planet. So even amongst these 150,000 pl- uh, stars, there may be more of these planets but, I mean, this is how huge it is. When you talk about finding this number of planets, around 150,000 stars, there are billions of stars just in our galaxy. There are billions upon billions of galaxies. So what is that all all up to? I mean, it's pretty staggering, then, to think how many Earth-like planets might be out there. Do any of them harbor life? Do all of them? Are we alone? Are we common? I mean, these are big questions. But the fact that we're able to find these planets in the first place is a huge step. And we're finding more and more of these. One of the Caltech astrophysicists who was at the center of all of this said yesterday, quote, I for one am ecstatic. This is all pretty big. There's one in particular, KLI7711 of the 10, seems closest to being a possible Earth twin in terms of size and distance from the star. So some exciting discoveries. Our number here, 974-TALK, nine seven four eight two five five. We are back with more right after this.
1: Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.